Unfortunately, the Orioles' streak of seven consecutive series wins was snapped over the weekend in Atlanta as the O's dropped two of three. But even with the two losses, the O's showed me something. They had a chance to win all three of those games against maybe the best team in baseball. And the one thing the Orioles showed is that they belong. I'll recap the series coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, May 8th, 2023. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are going to recap the Orioles' tough series loss in Atlanta as they dropped two out of three against the Braves and their series winning streak stops at seven. I'm going to get you my three big takeaways from the weekend series, including Anthony Santander's bat heating up, some pitchers who were struggling coming in, finding their form over the weekend, and the O's offense just not taking advantage of some chances like they had earlier in the season. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Before we get there, though, just did want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And thank you to the everydayers out there who are with us every single day on Locked On Orioles, whether it be on audio or on the Locked On Orioles YouTube channel. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the channel. We thank you so much for being an everydayer. Thank you if you're not as well, if you're just checking out the pod because the O's are playing well. Hope you stick around here on the Locked On Orioles podcast. So let's jump into it. The Orioles, unfortunately, were not able to win their eighth consecutive series. It started off well. On Friday night, they came up with a 9-4 victory in the opening game of the series. And they had the lead in the eighth inning on Saturday, but could not pull it out with a 5-4 loss on Saturday. And then Sunday was a classic, a back-and-forth pitcher's duel. But the Orioles lose 3-2 in 12 innings on a Michael Harris walk-off in the 12th and drop two out of three in the series against the Atlanta Braves and the O's come out of that series, come back home at 22 and 12, still solidified second place in the division. So let's get into my three big takeaways from the series. My first big takeaway, Anthony Santander is heating up. And it was interesting because it wasn't necessarily a weekend where the Orioles bats were red hot. We'll get to that in a second. They certainly played well, On Friday night, they got nine runs on 12 hits. But after that, it wasn't like Santander pulling it together has made the O's unstoppable as an offense. Now, the heating up for Santander, it didn't start this weekend, but it definitely got better and better. Anthony Santander in the three games this weekend in which he did start all three of them for the Orioles, getting a couple of starts in right field for the O's and then DHing on Sunday. He goes six for 13 with two homers, two doubles, seven RBIs, two strikeouts to no walks. Santander had nine hard hit balls this weekend. That is any ball off the bat with an exit velocity of 95 miles per hour or better. Santander, think about it this way. He put 11 balls in play this weekend. Nine of them were hard hit balls. And one of the singles that he hit, remember it was two singles, two doubles, and two homers. 
One of the singles was the go-ahead RBI single in the top of the 10th on Sunday that put the Orioles up 2-1. to one. We were all obviously hoping that would be the game-winning hit, but it was not. He hit that ball off the wall in right field. He just hit it so hard, and we know he's not exactly the best runner in the world, that he wasn't able to turn it into a double because he hit it 102 off the wall. That could have pretty easily been a third double on the weekend as well. That's how well he's swinging it. Now, one thing about Santander recently is, although the bat's heating up, he's not walking too, too much. He did not walk all weekend, and that was something he did better last year. Now, down the stretch, I will say, after the first two months of 2022, Anthony Santander was a walking machine. There were a lot of articles written, talked about you know the plate discipline and the approach at the plate, the pitch selection. It went away a little bit down the stretch, and he ended up with about an 8% walk rate on the year. That's right around where he is this year. It's just that his Ks are way up. He was at a 19% strikeout rate last year. He's at 27% this year, which is a concerning rate. 19, not concerning at all. 27 is a little concerning, even in today's baseball. So that's really been the difference. But especially lately, he hasn't really walked at all. These three games this weekend are kind of a continuance of the last nine games for Anthony Santander, when his bat has turned things around. Coming into that nine-game stretch, so in his first 22 games, Santander had just one home run, he was hitting just 205, and he had a 599 OPS. A sub-600 OPS is not good for a guy who's hitting two through four pretty much every single day in your order, and especially for a guy who had a 773 OPS last year, hit 33 homers, and was one of your most productive power hitters in 2022s, so the Orioles were looking for a lot more from Santander. Well, they've gotten it over the last nine games. In his last nine games, he is 15 for 38. That is a 395 batting average with three doubles, four homers, and 11 RBIs. That is a 1214 OPS for Santander in his last nine games. Now, I will say he's still striking out 10 Ks and only two walks in the last nine games. So, the on-base percentage isn't shooting crazy high, but he is just clobbering the baseball right now. It seems like everything, you know, he's not like getting a lot of bloop singles right now to help out that 15 for 38. There are a lot of rockets off the bat, off the wall, into the gaps. The home runs have been huge. I mean, the two home runs that he hit on Friday night, those were both of the dingers this weekend. They were very different home runs, to be honest with you. The first one was a solo shot in this game that gave the Orioles the lead off of the star lefty Max Freed. It was a solo shot in the fourth inning that put the Orioles up 2-1. to one, And that ball off the bat just barely got out of there. It was as a right-handed hitter for Santander. It lands in the first row in left center field. Now, he still hit it 402 feet, but it just snuck out. Then you have the grand slam, which really put the game away in the eighth inning. Comes in, hits a grand slam from the left side to put the Orioles up 8-1. to one. That one, 397 feet, but way back by the chop house uh, in Atlanta. 103 off the bat would have been a homer in all 30 ballparks for Santander. Just ripping the ball around the ballpark this weekend. Just some huge, huge hits for the Orioles. And it's great to see because although the rest of the offense has really been producing... There are some guys who are producing, like Jorge Mateo and like Ryan McKenna and Ramon Arias, who I think there's some worry that they're going to come back down to earth a little bit. But Santander has basically given them nothing, and the offense as a whole has still been good. And the same goes for Gunnar Henderson, who's on a little bit slower pace picking things up. But if Santander is back to what he was last year, and maybe even better what he looks like in this stretch... That completes this offense so much more. Power hitting, switch hitter, who's driving the baseball out of the four hole. 
It just makes the O's that much better. Then while Santander, definitely a struggling hitter throughout the year, who used this weekend to help him find his form, there were also some pitchers for the O's who had struggled lately, who certainly found their form this weekend. We'll talk about some big outings for Dean Kramer, Kyle Bradish, Mike Bauman, and others coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is the perfect fit. And it's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to My Garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit, or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. So the Orioles do end up dropping two out of three in Atlanta this weekend against the Braves. We're not able to make it eight consecutive series victories, but the O's still looked good. And they really did show that they can hang with one of the best teams in baseball. Now the Braves now have the second best record in the league behind the Rays, who, of course, the Orioles will now see starting tonight at Camden Yards. Schedule ain't getting any easier. But the O's hung with them, and they had a real chance to sweep this series, or at the very least win it. I mean, you're five outs away from winning it in the series or in the game on Saturday. You're two outs away from winning it in the game on Sunday. You had a real chance, and things just didn't break your way, and you lost to a good team on the road. That happens. But I'm proud of this O's team right now. And they showed they belong. It's not just, oh, the O's are playing and hanging with the other good teams in baseball. The O's are one of the good teams in baseball. Like, other teams right now should be worried about the Orioles. The Rays have played a fairly easy schedule. They should be worried about coming into Camden Yards this week. And a big part of that is because not all 26 Orioles players are performing well right now, despite the team performing well. Some guys were struggling. But on the pitching side... This weekend actually turned into a spot for some of the struggling pitchers to start to turn things around. And that started with Dean Kramer, who got the start on Friday night after the Orioles actually pushed him back a day, gave him an extra day of rest, and gave him the start Friday night. They could have given him the start on regular rest against the Royals. Instead, they go against the Braves on the extra day of rest. That's how much they felt he needed one extra day. And apparently, that was exactly what Kramer needed. Now, I will give you the caveat as... He was not dominant by any stretch. He got hit hard. He didn't have a lot of strikeouts. He got out of a lot of jams. But when you're facing the Atlanta Braves lineup, which is daunting, and you go six innings, allowing just one run on six hits with three strikeouts and two walks, that is impressive every single day of the week. Kramer threw 93 pitches. Now, he did get hit hard. As I said, 10 hard hit balls against him in six innings, but he lowered his ERA to 5.80. Now, what was the really interesting part for Dean Kramer is he only had the three strikeouts, as I mentioned, but he was actually missing bats, which is something he hadn't done really since his dominant six and two-thirds scoreless innings against the Nationals a few weeks ago. Kramer had 15 whiffs in this game on 48 swings. Those 15 whiffs 
a season high for Dean Kramer. And he got six of them on his four-seam fastball, which he didn't actually have great command on in this game. But he got some swings and misses on the four-seamer. The velo was pretty standard for him, 94 to 97 on the year. The changeup, though, was good. He got three whiffs there on that change. And the cutter, I thought, was really, really good. It was in the zone. It was getting four swings and misses. The velocity on it was solid. I thought he really relied on that cutter to get him through the six innings on Friday night. And now he's got to pitch a little better than this to continue on a path and get back to what he was in 2022. But this is a great step forward for Dean Kramer. And it's already been announced by the Orioles that he will be making his next start. If this had gone poorly for Dean, he was in trouble of maybe being moved to the bullpen and even at worst being sent to AAA and losing his rotation spot. But he gained it back with a strong start on Friday. And same thing happened for Kyle Bradish, who I don't think was as much in trouble of losing the rotation spot, not nearly as much a track record of pitching poorly so far this season. But Bradish put in a solid start Saturday, just like Kramer did Friday. Now, Bradish was not as good as Kramer was, but he kept the Orioles in the game. And it was back-to-back bad starts for Kyle Bradish, so it was really good to see him regain a bit of his form on Saturday night. In game two of the series, he goes five innings, allowing three runs on five hits with four strikeouts, two walks, and a home run allowed on 86 pitches. Now, here's the good. The good was he only allowed eight hard hit balls, and he'd been allowing a lot more in the last few starts. The good was he got himself through five innings. He was not able to do that the last couple of times around. And the good was he was missing bats with his breaking ball that he was throwing a lot. 15 whiffs for Bradish was a season high, and he got seven of them on the slider. And the thing I love for Kyle Bradish is that the slider was his number one pitch on Saturday night. He threw 31 sliders out of his 86 pitches. That was 36% sliders. Then he went 19 four-seamers, 15 sinkers, 13 change-ups, and eight curveballs. Now, he didn't go to the curve as much as I would like, But that slider is his best pitch. And he had been going away from it a little bit the last couple of starts. He went back to it in a huge way. Seven whiffs on 15 swings. Four called strikes. Was getting foul balls. He was in the strike zone when he needed to. He was out of the strike zone when he needed to. All the velocities were up for Kyle Bradish, which is a good sign. He was getting swings and misses. The reason why he gave up three runs and things looked a little dicey at times, especially in that fifth inning before he got out of it, is that he just still threw too many fastballs. When you combine the four-seamer and the sinker, it was still 36 fastballs, more than his 31 sliders. When he throws more breaking balls, just go look at his game logs from 2022 at the end of the year. When he throws more breaking balls, he's better. Now, you can't throw 80% breaking balls, but you can throw 30% and 40% breaking balls with the slider and the curveball combined, and you can get a lot of guys out. That's what I'm looking at right there. He threw 39 breaking pitches out of 86 pitches. That is a ratio that Bradish should get used to, which is going to lead to more success because that slider was nasty. He was getting everybody to swing and miss on that pitch. And then for some reason, he multiple times would go to the four-seamer or the sinker, especially with two strikes, and it would let him down. I wonder why. His four-seamer is not a good pitch. I know it has natural cutting action. I know it sits 95 and is up to 97. That should mean it's good. For some reason, it's just not. His sinker is better, but it's still not great. But the slider is so good. He's got to lean into it. That's what he did Saturday. It's a good step forward for Bradish. Another guy who bounced back is CNL Perez. Now, 
I know I'm going to get some pushback here because Cienel Perez did give up the walk-off hit to Michael Harris in the bottom of the 12th on Sunday where the Orioles officially lost the series. But what I will say about Perez is he came into the game on Saturday and he was huge. Cienel Perez has not been good this year. He's been getting incrementally better over the last couple of weeks, but he came in and retired all four batters he faced on Saturday. Came in after the O's had put up two runs in the top of the six to take a 4-3 to three lead. CNL Perez comes into the game, bottom six, goes 1-2-3, and then comes back out for the seventh inning because a lefty was due up and gets a strikeout to open the inning before leaving the game. The velocity was there. The stuff looked better. He still only got two swings and misses, but that was better than it's been. I mean, he wasn't missing any bats for a while. And he went to the stuff that's been working. And it worked a little better. And I understand that he gave up the walk-off on Sunday. It is, it's tough to blame him. I mean, the Orioles' offense didn't score in the 11th, didn't score in the 12th. So you come out there in a 2-2 game, there's already the zombie runner on second. And yeah, Michael Harris hit a ball 101 off the bat, 392 feet off the base of the wall for the walk-off double on a first-pitch slider that kind of hung in the zone for too long. I get it. But Perez did strike out the batter before, and that strikeout happened to be against Kevin Pillar, who has killed the Orioles and was the hero with the two-run go-ahead homer in the eighth on Saturday night. And Perez just attacked him with the breaking ball. He threw him a bunch of sliders, and he got him to swing and miss on a really good one for strike three. That's baby steps forward for Perez. Even though he allowed the walk-off, I'd call this a net positive weekend for CNL Perez. We're getting close to Givens and Tate being back and some bullpen decisions having to come. Perez is making that decision a little bit tougher now as he's starting to look a tiny bit more like his 2022 self. Shouting out a couple other guys that were good this weekend that had had some struggles. Austin Voth is kind of on a stretch right now of pitching well, but he certainly continued that. On Friday, he closed out the game, came in in a 9-4 game in the ninth, and put up a zero, striking out Matt Olson to end the game. He got three whiffs on his four-seamer, went very four-seam heavy on Friday night, 14 of 17 pitches with a four-seamer. But then he changed course completely when he came into the game on Sunday. That's what was so impressive. He relieved Tyler Wells on Sunday, who Wells did pitch well, just too many pitches, but five innings, one run ball for Tyler Wells on Sunday. Austin Voth comes in, Two scoreless innings, six up and six down for Austin Voth in the sixth and the seventh. And while he was basically exclusively four-seam fastball on Friday night, he really mixed things up on Sunday. 14 curveballs, 10 fastballs, and five sweepers. He ended up with four whiffs. The curveball looked really good for him. It was in the strike zone a lot as well, which was good. The sweeper did just enough for him. The spin rates are there. The stuff is there. He's not giving up homers anymore. He's getting guys out. Voth seemed like the easy pick like three weeks ago to say, oh, he's easily getting DFA'd when Tate and Givens come back. I kind of think right now, Austin Voth is almost certainly not one of the two guys, especially because he's out of options. The O's would have to DFA him. But I think he's looked good enough lately where I think the O's are going to hold on to him. He's a nice long relief guy to have. He can pitch in short relief as well. He's shown it multiple times this season. It makes him versatile. He has good stuff. He can be your spot starter if you need him to be as well. Just in general, Austin Voth has kind of turned things around here. 
for the Orioles this season. And for Austin Voth, it's been three straight scoreless appearances. He's gone five innings over that stretch. If you add in the previous three appearances, it has been nine and two-thirds innings allowing just one run over his last six outings after he had a disastrous start to the year. He's lowered his ERA from 10.5 to 4.58. That is what you want to see from Austin Voth. He stopped giving up the homers, and all of a sudden, he's a good pitcher again. Mike Bauman definitely responded on Sunday. Now, Bauman wasn't great Friday night, kind of came up in in mop-up duty, essentially. The O's were up 9-1 to when Bauman entered the game, and he did a nice job of throwing a scoreless seventh, but he came out in the eighth and did allow a three-run homer to Sean Murphy. Keegan Aiken had to kind of come in and, and clean up the mess in the eighth inning. And that made it three straight outings in which Bauman had allowed a home run. After not allowing one all season up to that point and having a sub-1 ERA, three straight outings for Bauman allowing a homer. He had not looked good. But he recovers on Sunday, and he looked the best he has. I don't know it was just one inning on Sunday. But he comes in in the bottom of the 11th. The Orioles had failed to score in the top of the 11th. So you got the zombie runner on second in a 2-2 game, and you've got the top of the Braves lineup coming up. That is Ronald Acuna, Matt Olson, Austin Riley, Ozzie Albies with a runner already on second and all they need to do is get him home. You're thinking, game's over in the 11th, let's go home. And then he strikes out Ronald Acuna on some nasty stuff, okay? He intentionally walks Matt Olson, which was a great move, strikes out Austin Riley on some more nasty stuff and then he gets Ozzie Albies to end the inning. I mean, the stuff was incredible from Mike Bauman on Sunday. And I am regaining confidence in him. He had five whiffs on eight swings. He threw a lot of breaking balls. 12 pitches for Bauman. This may be the recipe to success. 12 pitches, seven sliders, three curveballs, only two fastballs. And the fastballs he did throw, both of them were 99 miles an hour. He's averaging 96 on the year. That is interesting from Mike Bauman moving forward. And then I will say Felix Bautista looked better, right? I mean, he had just been a walkathon. it seemed like, his last couple of outings. Bautista came in for the save, 2-1 game, bottom 10. And I get that the Braves tied the game. He gets the ground out, runner goes to third, then he throws the wild pitch on the splitter, run comes in to score. But his stuff ended up looking a little better. He kept it at 2-2, got it to the 11th inning. And I think it was a step forward. Now, with those steps forward that the Orioles got all weekend, even though I'm saying, you know, they, they held their own, they showed they belong, they won a game, I think most Orioles fans, including myself, feel like the O's could have and should have maybe won that series. They could have swept it, but at the very least, they should have won two out of three. They had a chance to win Saturday. They had a chance to win Sunday. It didn't happen. And I know it's easy to pin it on the bullpen, who gave up the winning hits in both those games. But the offense had a chance to put those games away. And unlike most of the year where they've been clutch, they weren't that Saturday and Sunday. We'll talk about that coming up next. As the Orioles dropped two out of three over the weekend in Atlanta, they scored nine runs on 12 hits, came up big in some huge spots on Friday night. But after that, it wasn't 
really the same. Saturday, they really did have a good plan against Spencer Strider, you know, one of the Cy Young favorites in the National League. They got two runs off of him. They got Strider out of the game after five innings. That was huge. I mean, they got his pitch count up to 95 through five innings. Yes, he struck out 10 batters, didn't walk anybody, but the Orioles had really good plate appearances. They worked the count. They battled. They got two runs. They got four hits, and they got him out of the game. They got Nick Anderson in, who they scored two runs off of in the sixth, and all of a sudden they took a 4-3 lead. But they had a chance to add. Dylan Lee came in in the top of the seventh, O's leading 4-3, and they load the bases. And Lee wasn't looking great, and they had a chance to extend the lead. And I don't fault them a lot for what happened next. I mean, Ryan Mountcastle, wouldn't you know it, even though he had two hits in that game, had two kind of fluky hits, a ground ball and a bloop single. Of course, when Ryan Mountcastle unloads with the bases loaded and two outs, hits a screamer out to left field, 109 off the bat, 372 feet. Well, look who it was in just the right place, Eddie Rosario, to make a leaping catch and end the inning. He scorched it. It was frustrating. It's been that way all the last two years, it seems like, for Ryan Mountcastle. And the O's just couldn't convert after that. And it was unfortunate. Listen, as a little aside, Saturday was unfortunate, right? I get people calling for, you know, Yenier Cano should have been in the game. Brian Baker comes in in the seventh after a bad outing Thursday against Kansas City. Looks bad again. Lucks his way into a double play. Gets out of the seventh. Keeps it four to three. Bottom eight, Baker comes back out there. All right. Gives up a double, gets an out. Runner on second, one out. The Orioles go to Danny Coulomb with lefty do-up in Eddie Rosario. And those fans are thinking, why is Yenier Cano not in here? It's the eighth inning. It's his spot. As I said on Twitter on Saturday night, Cano threw 32 pitches on Thursday. And I get that he had the day off Friday, but he's thrown a lot this year. The O's have asked him to do a lot, and 32 pitches was a season high for him. So I said, he's most likely unavailable. The Orioles went to Danny Coulomb, who did give up a couple of runs Thursday, comes back Saturday. And on the second pitch, unfortunately, Coulomb, who has a devastating slider and a sweeper and throws those two pitches like 75% of the time, unfortunately threw a fastball to an Orioles killer in Kevin Pillar, who's now hitting, don't look it up, but I think 880 against the Orioles in his career. Hits a go-ahead two-run homer and the Braves win. And it stinks, right? It stinks to see yourself five outs away from a series win in Atlanta and have it taken away like that. I get it. And I get that you want Yenier Cano out there because he's been the best reliever. But sometimes guys aren't available. And Brandon Hyde said after the game, Yenier Cano is not available and I didn't want to use Felix until the ninth. Perfectly acceptable answer. Especially when Baker's been great all year and Danny Coulomb has been amazing all year. You have to expect those guys to get outs when they have all season. And even if they're not as good as Cano, which they're not, you can't manage every game of a 162-game season like it's the playoffs. In baseball, you have to let your lesser players win games for you sometimes, or you're just going to run your team into the ground. And especially when it comes to the bullpen, you can't go to the well every single night with your best guys. You're going to run them into the ground. The Orioles ran their bullpen into the ground in September last year, and that was still with trying to make sure they didn't use guys too often. They're already kind of running guys into the ground this year because starters aren't given enough, enough length and they're not good enough so far. You can't use guys every day. If Cano is unavailable, he is unavailable. And Baker and Coulomb have been good enough this year where I would trust them to get those outs. They just didn't do it. And it stinks. But that's how it is in Major League Baseball. You can't go to those guys every day. You're going to ruin your team down the stretch. 
But again, they had a chance to win Sunday. And they had chances on the bases. They were facing Bryce Elder, who was the worst of the three starters they faced in Atlanta this weekend, and just just couldn't come through. Low to the bases with one out in the third inning. Ryan Mountcastle just gets fooled, takes strike three, then Gunnar Henderson strikes out. They leave him loaded. Second and third, no outs in the fourth inning. They get the RBI grounder from Ramon Arias, which was nice to tie the game at one. But then they go pop up and ground ball, and they only get out of there with one run. First and second, one out, bases loaded, two outs in the sixth inning in a 1-1 game. Cedric Mullen swings through a 3-2 sweeper to strike out, leave the bases loaded. And then you get extra innings. Tenth inning, nice job by Santander, leads off the inning with the RBI single to tie the game. Jorge Mateo comes in, steals second as a pinch runner. But then Mateo gets thrown out at third on a ground ball, which you can't do, and they only get one in the top of the inning, allowing the Braves to tie it in the bottom half. And then you do what you really can't do, which is not score in extra innings with the zombie runner. And that's what they did in the 11th. Just bad base running. Adam Frazier hits a fly ball to right. Ronald Acuna has a crazy good arm. Austin Hayes tries to test it. Gets thrown out at third for a double play. Orioles get it, put up a zero. Luckily, they get it to the 12th. And then in the 12th, they go pop out, ground out, pop out. Don't get a run in the 12th. And of course, eventually the home team's going to walk it off when you're not scoring an extra innings. That's what the Braves did in the 12th inning. So the O's have been really good hitting with runners in scoring position all year. They did so on Friday night. They even did so early in the game Saturday. I mean, Adam Frazier had that big little poke two RBI single the other way early in that game Saturday that put the Orioles up two to one. I mean, they've done it before. Just down the stretch Saturday and throughout the game on Sunday, they just did not get that big hit they needed with runners in scoring position, and that's why they weren't able to come up with what would have been a huge series win. But I I was still impressed. I mean, again, I know these games are important, and they're against a great team, but you can't manage every game like it's the playoffs, and it's something else that I talked about Saturday night with the weird turnaround where you played a 7-15 game on Saturday night and then an 11-30 a.m. game Sunday with the National Peacock and NBC game. Most of the guys you threw on Saturday... We're just not going to be available Sunday with that quick of a turnaround. And CNL Perez only was used Saturday and Sunday because they went to 12 innings and they needed to throw him. If you notice, Brian Baker and Danny Coulomb, who both threw Saturday, did not pitch Sunday. Instead, they had Cano available. And Cano goes six up, six down. They had Voth available, who goes six up, six down. Felix gives him a good inning. Bauman gives him a good inning. Just the offense needed something and just couldn't get something for him, unfortunately. It's an unfortunate series loss, but I'm proud of this Orioles team right now. They hung with what I think right now is the best team in baseball in the Atlanta Braves. They hung with them. Yeah, they lost the series, but they won a game, and they showed especially a national audience with the Saturday game being on Fox and the Sunday game being on NBC. Even though they lost both those games, they showed a national audience that the Orioles aren't just some you know pesky upstart like the Pirates who's going to fall apart eventually. The Pirates have, and... The O's are going to get them at the perfect time later this week. I think the O's can sustain this. And I think they showed the baseball world that over the weekend, despite the series loss. But they do have another chance to show them that same thing again. Because it does not get any easier after that Brave series. The team with the best record in baseball is coming into Camden Yards starting tonight. The 28-7 Tampa Bay Rays who just had a wild comeback win over the Yankees Sunday to take two out of three from New York, are coming into Camden Yards. This 
is going to be a fun series. Orioles and Rays for the first time this year. Game one tonight, 6.35 p.m. Eastern time. The Baltimore native Shane McClanahan, one of the best left-handers in all of baseball, is going to take the mound for the Rays. He has a 2.03 ERA on the season, 51 strikeouts in 40 innings. His last time out against Pittsburgh, six innings, one run, and nine strikeouts. That's basically been how he's pitched all year. And he will go against Kyle Gibson, who has looked a little shaky lately. Gibson, the veteran right-hander now with a 4-6-1 ERA on the season, but allowed six runs on 10 hits in six and two-thirds innings with no Ks and no walks in a very weird start in Kansas City on Wednesday night. Hopefully Gibson can pull it back together. And I'll have the recap of game one between the O's and the Rays for you back here on the podcast tomorrow. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.